Hello, this is the Tech Doctor, back with you for part two of Android accessibility. And I would encourage you, if you haven't done so, to listen to part one, because I'm going to build from what I did in part one here in part two. As I finished part one, I said I was going to install some apps, work with them, and then report back on my findings using some apps. So, in this podcast, I will be discussing my work with Gmail, my installation of and exploration of iBlink Radio. I worked with a Twitter app called Plume. I used the Google Play Books app to read the Nexus 7 manual, and I worked with a podcatching app called Dogcatcher. So I'll be discussing my findings with each of these apps in this podcast. I mentioned that I had tried Gmail in part one, but I had the chance to work more with it and discovered that it really works quite well with TalkBack. This is the default Gmail application. I'm not positive whether it gets installed when you log into Google or whether it comes on the device pre-installed, but either way it's the one that automatically gets installed at some point along the way. I discovered that reading mail is really quite easy and accessible with TalkBack. It seems that switching mailboxes is pretty good. I had a little trouble sometimes getting back to my inbox, but I suspect that's more due to my inexperience with Android than the actual working of the application, but I will be working more with all these apps, including Gmail, and so I can report back more on that. I discovered that when you're going through your list of subject headings, if you see a message that you know that you want to delete, you can double tap and hold on that subject and you get a little context menu that has a delete button as part of it. So you can fairly easily delete messages as you go along. I tend to like to go through and delete the messages in my inbox that I know that I don't want to read and then go back and read the other messages. They've made this incredibly easy and convenient to do on iOS because there's now an action rotor item that lets you just flick down and you immediately have a delete button when you're sitting on the subject of a message. It's not quite as convenient in Android, but it's not terrible either. You can delete your messages and get through them pretty quickly. It's it's reasonably efficient. I found that composing and replying to mail 
worked well. I was very pleased with how the on-screen keyboard gave me full accessibility to be able to edit uh, either character by character review what I was typing or word by word and it turns out that the talkback tracking is completely accurate in this particular edit box. The system pointer or system cursor does keep up with where talkback is. So if you are moving by character and you hear a, an error, you can simply delete that character at that point and retype it. So I give a pretty high mark to the way that talkback works with the default Gmail client. I next installed iBlink Radio from Serotech and as you would expect iBlink Radio for Android worked very well. I was able to even listen to a little bit of an episode of the Tech Doctor podcast. I really didn't find much difference between how the Android version of iBlink Radio and the iOS version works. I know there are some difference, but I found that they both work about equally well, at least in my testing. So a big thumbs up for iBlink Radio on Android worked really well. I had heard about a Twitter app that was supposed to be quite nice on Android called Plume. So I went to the Google Play Store and I did a search for Plume. And in the process of doing that search, I discovered that TalkBack doesn't work very well with the edit box that's used for searching in the Google Play Store. There's no problem with typing in characters. TalkBack does echo your characters as you type them in. But for whatever reason, when you switch to word review, review by word, or review by character, those two items don't work in this Google Play search store edit box. So you really can't review what you've typed if you make a mistake in the search box or if you think you've made a mistake you have to clear the text which is easy to do because there is a clear search box button you clear that and then you retype the text and I'm not sure why the edit situation is different in this search box than it was with Gmail where it worked really well but there is some inconsistency there. Once I stopped trying to edit in the search box and just typed in the word plume and pressed search it was very easy to locate this Twitter app and so downloading and installing the application is very similar to the process that's used to install and download an iOS app. It really isn't any more difficult. 
the first thing that Plume asks you to do once you run it for the first time after installing it is to enter your Twitter credentials, your username and password, so that Plume can become a client that is verified with Twitter so that it can access your timeline. And unfortunately, I discovered the same problem with the two edit boxes in Plume, the username and the password edit boxes. Neither of them worked very well with TalkBack. Same problem as with the Play Store search box. You can type in the information, but you can't edit what you type. You just have to delete it out and start over if you make a mistake. So that was a bit disappointing, but it was consistent with what I found with the uh, Google Play Store search box. While I was experimenting with the username edit box to see if there was any way that I could hear what I was editing, I double tapped on the username edit box and for some unknown reason that caused TalkBack to say the word click and every few seconds the speaker in the Nexus 7 would emit a click and also at that point the touch screen was completely unresponsive. So I locked and unlocked the screen a couple times and finally got the touch screen to respond again and I exit out of the app and restarted it and things were appearing to be normal but when I went back into the screen where I was needing to enter my Twitter credentials and I, if I would double tap on the username edit box which should have opened that edit box giving me a keyboard and the ability to type into it instead it would dump me back out into the welcome screen of Plume and so I was stuck at that point I couldn't enter my Twitter credentials because every time I would try to enter something in the username field I'd get dumped back out to the welcome screen of the program so I decided the best thing to do at that point was to remove Plume from my device and reinstall it. So the next task turned out to be to figure out how to uninstall an app from the Nexus 7. And I discovered that there are at least two ways to go about doing this. Probably the most straightforward way for a TalkBack user is to go to settings and then apps and double tap on the app that you want to uninstall and you'll get a more info screen and one of the options on that more info screen is an option to delete the app from the device there's also another button there which allows you to delete all the apps data so I guess in Android you can delete the data from an app without removing the app and that might come in handy sometime if you have an app that's given trouble and you think the data has gotten corrupt. 
in iOS, all you can do is uninstall the app, and by doing so, this automatically removes all the data that was installed along with the app because the iOS apps are sandboxed, and when you remove the app, you also remove the data. And actually, I don't really mind that. I'm not sure that that uh, if I'm having trouble with an app, I necessarily need to go through two steps of deleting the data and then trying it again. I'm perfectly okay with just having iOS delete everything and letting me start over. But I guess there might be some cases where this additional possibility could be helpful. There's a second way to get to this info screen, and you do that by going to the recent apps screen, locating the desired app on the recent apps screen. You double tap and hold on the apps icon, and you get a little context menu that has the more info option, which enables you to get back to the same place you were before when you go to settings and app and just double tap on the app. This time when you're when you do it from the recent app screen, you have to double tap and hold on the app to get to this more info screen. I believe there's a third way of removing an app and that is that you go to the app screen and double tap and hold on the app and this gives you the opportunity to move the app to a different place on the screen and at the top of the screen if I'm not mistaken there is a trash icon so I believe you could drag the app up into the trash icon and delete it that way. I haven't actually done this and I suspect the first two ways that I mentioned are probably easier for a talkback user uh, who's blind than trying to drag the app into the trash but at least with Android you have quite a few choices in terms of how you remove your apps from your device. So just to review that a little bit, because I want to make it clear that there are three different screens that we're talking about. On your home screen, you have, by default, an icon called Apps, which takes you to your list of apps on your device. And it's that one that if you double tap and hold on, you can move an app around the screen. Also on your home screen, you have at the bottom, sort of like in a dock, where there's a back button and a home button, there's a recent apps button. And if you double tap on that, you go to the apps that you've recently used. And that's the one where you double tap and hold on the app, and that will bring up the more info screen where you can delete it. And also, if you go 
to your apps screen you will have an app called settings which is actually your settings for the device if you open that screen you'll find another icon called apps inside the settings screen and that's actually where you go if you want to just simply double tap on an app and that will bring up the more info button which will let you delete the app from there after deleting plume from my device I redownloaded it and didn't get caught up in trying to edit the username or password I just typed them in without doing anything to them and I was able to launch the app and have my Twitter timeline immediately come up so it was really quite easy to get it going if you didn't get caught up in the fact that you can't edit the username and password fields. I found Plume to be quite accessible with TalkBack. I installed the free version which has advertisements in it and I'm not sure whether those ads are text-based or whether they're image-based but with the free version at least TalkBack does say image pretty often as you move around the screen. I don't know whether that would be the case in the paid version or not. But the free version works just fine. There are essentially two ways that I've found to read through your Twitter timeline. One of them is simply to start at the top of the screen and slowly move your finger down the screen and each tweet that is available on the screen will be spoken as you cross over it with your finger. So just simply by sliding your finger down you can get through your tweets. The second way that you can do it is you can flick to the right which will take you down the screen one tweet at a time. I found that TalkBack works really well with Plume when you compose a tweet. Turns out that in this case the edit box does work properly with TalkBack. You can review what you're composing by character and by word and the cursors do track as you would need them to to be able to edit what you're working on. So again, don't know why there's this inconsistency but for whatever reason TalkBack likes the plume uh, edit box. I did discover when I was ready to send the tweet that there are three unlabeled buttons in plume and by trial and error I figured out that the send button is actually the button that's after the edit box where you compose the tweet. The two buttons that are located before the edit box are a cancel button and a hashtag button. As far as I know, TalkBack doesn't have the feature that allows a user to label buttons. I think that has to be done by the developer of the app at this point. I next wanted to read the Nexus 7 user guide which comes available as a download
inside Google Play Books. And so when you open up the Google Play Books app, you have the option of downloading the Nexus 7 User's Guide. The download was easy and straightforward. And as soon as the book downloaded, it opened and TalkBack began reading the book. And it would just read continuously until you stopped it. And through trial and error, I discovered that it was possible to pause the reading by doing a one-finger double tap and to resume the reading by doing another one-finger double tap. Of course, iOS requires you to do a two-finger double tap to start and stop things typically. I um, can't remember exactly how you stop an iBook, though. It might only require one tap or touching the screen once to stop it. But anyway, they operate a little bit differently. And iBooks doesn't read continuously by default. You have to issue a continuous read command, which is just a two-finger swipe down on the screen. But the Google Play Books app on the Nexus 7 did automatically read continuously with TalkBack, and it didn't give you any sound that it was changing pages. It just kept reading, and you had no information about what page you were on. I found that pausing and restarting was a little bit inconsistent. Sometimes TalkBack would pause quickly when I did the one finger double tap and sometimes it would take it a little while to pause and sometimes I would have to issue that command a couple times to get it to pause. It always resumed well when you wanted to start back up but it seemed to have a little more trouble pausing and I don't know if maybe this is not an official pause command. Maybe someone knows a better what way of pausing Google Books or maybe it's just one of those inconsistencies that sometimes because of timing or whatever TalkBack pauses more readily than others. Not sure. I didn't find it to be a huge problem but it was a little bit annoying. As far as I could figure out there is no way to move through the user guide by word or by character. You just have to let it read to you and you don't really have any control over the the ability to review the material. I mean you can move back by a page but I couldn't really see any way to move around on the screen and get bits of the page read and perhaps I am mistaken about that and again we'll continue to experiment more because part of this may be lack of experience on my part but it may also just be how TalkBack works in Google Books. I was able to access the table of contents in the book and there is an icon for that 
near the top of the screen and I was able to go to a particular chapter in the table of contents, double tap on that chapter and have TalkBack start reading from the beginning of that chapter. So that really worked quite well. Next I wanted to try a podcatching app that I had heard of called Dogcatcher. Interesting dog is spelled with two G's in this app. So this is the first app that I tried that I actually had to purchase and when I clicked on the dog catcher download button or the dog catcher buy button I was told that I had to set up my credit card information in Google Wallet before I could download this app because it is a $4.95 app. So I went through the credit card setup and was very impressed with how well TalkBack worked on the add a credit card screen. Everything spoke beautifully. It was easy to tell which field you were in and you could review by character and word if you needed to to make sure you had your credit card information incorrectly. And so hats off to talk back for how well it worked on the add a credit card screen. Once I had the credit card information entered it was very easy and straightforward to purchase and download Dogcatcher. Very similar to the process of purchasing an iOS app. In fact, I think the two app stores, at least as far as I can tell so far, are really quite similar. Dogcatcher is quite a popular Android podcasting app. It turns out that it is quite accessible with TalkBack. There are a few unlabeled buttons but with a little experimentation I was able to figure out how it works. I actually subscribe to 62 podcasts on my iPhone and iPad so I didn't want to have to enter the podcast feed addresses for all 62 of these podcasts in Dogcatcher. Like most podcatching apps, I had read that Dogcatcher will allow you to give it the name of an OPML file, which is an XML file that contains your list of subscribed to podcast feeds. And most podcatchers will read that file and read those feeds into its database so that you will be subscribed automatically to the podcast that you were subscribed to on the device that generated the OPML file. So I used Downcast, which is the podcatching application that I use on my iOS devices, to export an OPML file. And then I was going to simply copy that file onto my Nexus 7 and tell Dogcatcher where the file was located. 
I thought that getting this OPML file onto my Nexus 7 would be a very easy thing to do because one of the things that I had heard from Android users was that a major advantage that Android has over Apple is that you can simply plug your device into your computer and copy files onto it. So I was shocked when I plugged my Nexus 7 into the USB port on my Mac and the Mac didn't recognize it. In fact, the Mac didn't even acknowledge that anything at all had been plugged into the USB port. So I did some Googling about this issue and discovered that the transfer protocol, the file transfer protocol that the Nexus 7 uses is not compatible with the Mac. So the Mac doesn't recognize the device when it gets plugged in. Now if you're using Windows, no problem. You plug the Nexus 7 into a Windows 7 machine and you can use Windows Explorer to see all the folders and files on the Nexus 7 and you can use the Windows clipboard to copy and paste files from your computer to the Nexus 7. To accomplish this same capability on the Mac you have to download a program for the Mac called Android File Transfer and that's available as freeware from android.com. Once you install this program it opens a window that shows you the folders and files that are on your Android device. And this window works very well with VoiceOver on the Mac. You can view all of the folders and files. The thing that doesn't work though is this file transfer program doesn't support the use of the clipboard to copy files from the Mac to the Android device. So the only way to get a file over there is to drag and drop it. And it turns out that in Mountain Lion, VoiceOver has really quite good drag and drop support. So I was eventually able to get this working and was able to drag the OPML file from my Mac and drop it into the download folder of my Nexus 7. It's thanks to David Woodbridge that I learned that I needed to use a voiceover backslash command to expand the folder before I could actually drop it. So thank you David for that helpful hint. I assumed that there would be a way for me to tell Dogcatcher to find the OPML file in my download folder. 
this turned out not to be the case when I got to looking at the options in Dogcatcher I discovered that Dogcatcher has an option to import an OPML file but it has to be located on an SD card and the Nexus 7 doesn't have an SD card slot. So I kept exploring all the options in Dogcatcher and I finally saw an option that said import OPML file from a website. So I used an FTP program that I use on my Mac and copied the OPML file up onto the drcarter.com website. I then went back into Dogcatcher and spent the next hour and a half or so trying to find that option that I had seen once which said that you could import an OPML file from a website. Being that I was completely sober at the time, I was pretty confident that I had not hallucinated the fact that this option exists, but I could not find it anywhere in Dogcatcher, so I finally realized that somehow I must not be seeing all the options. So it dawned on me that I needed to scroll the screen because in Android you have to manually scroll screens to see more options. And if you are in a list, TalkBack will tell you, for example, items 1 through 10 of 14, which makes it clear that you're going to be able to see the first 10 on this particular screen, but to see the last four, you have to scroll the screen up. But these dog catcher screens that I was looking at with all the various options are not lists. They're just like dialogue boxes. And so TalkBack was not giving me any indication that I needed to scroll the screen to see more options. And in fact, it was even more confusing because I didn't know which screen this import OPML file from website was on because I'd only seen it once and I had no idea by this point which screen it was actually on. I took an intuitive guess and assumed that it was probably on the ad feeds screen because that would make sense. So I tried various options on the ad, ad feed screen and tried scrolling the screen in various places and finally discovered that if I went to the end of the screen, to the bottom of the screen, and scrolled the screen up with two fingers, then my ad OPML file or import OPML file from a website option actually came up. So maybe two hours of exploration I finally got to the bottom of why I wasn't able to find the option. So now that I'd finally found the option I entered the web address 
where I had put the OPML file and I got an error message saying that the address was invalid. I did some further investigating and discovered that I had not uh, capitalized one of the characters in the address that needed to be capitalized. So I edited the address and changed the letter from lowercase to uppercase and I still got the error that the web address was invalid. So I thought about it for a while and finally realized that it probably wasn't sufficient for me to just be typing www.dr-carter.com that I need to type http colon slash slash www.dr-carter.com followed by the rest of the address. So once I typed in the entire address including the http it actually worked and Dogcatcher showed me all of the feeds that was in the OPML file. As I said, there were 62 of them. And instead of just importing them into Dogcatcher, it actually showed me each feed and allowed me to choose whether I wanted to import that particular feed into Dogcatcher. I've never seen a pod catching app work this way. All the ones that I've ever worked with before would just automatically import all the feeds into themselves when they encountered an OPML file. But I sort of like, in a way, the way that Dogcatcher did this. It took me longer um, to import them because I went through and only chose the ones that I really wanted in Dogcatcher to experiment with. There actually there was a button on each screen that was import all and so I could have just kept tapping the import all button on each screen. I think there were 10 feeds on each screen so I could have done that you know five or six times and had them all imported would have been another way to do it but this way allowed me to pick and choose which ones I actually wanted to be active in Dogcatcher. I was very happy about being able to accomplish my goal of getting Dogcatcher up and running and getting all my feeds imported into it without having to type the feed addresses in manually. But as you can also see from this little tale that it took quite a bit of troubleshooting and I had to rely on quite a bit of knowledge that I have acquired over the years about how you resolve some of these various issues. So the level of knowledge that I needed to make this all work was greater than what I have needed in recent versions of iOS to make similar things work. And I'm not saying 
necessarily better or worse here. I am saying that I was fortunate to have had the computer experience that I have to be able to accomplish this in Android. And it also requires a level of geekiness, a level of patience that I don't find uh, iOS requiring of me. Now, I'm a geek and I enjoy solving these things. And for me, this was actually kind of fun to work this through. But one of the things that Apple has taught me also is that a lot of times it's nice just to be able to read your email or listen to a podcast or browse something on the internet without having to get all geeky about it. And I do think that a lot of Android is that way. As I said, the the App Store on iOS is very similar to the to the Google Store. I found my Gmail experience to be pretty comparable to Mail on iOS, although I like iOS and Apple Mail a, a little better. So in some ways, Android is reasonably smooth and trouble-free to get done what you want to do. But in other ways, I found areas where you really do need to get under the hood and figure things out. So I listened to a podcast with Dogcatcher, and I discovered that the controls, play, pause, rewind, forward, and so forth, are on the screen and are accessible by TalkBack, and I didn't really have any trouble manipulating the podcast. I then decided that I wanted to speed up the podcast because I like to listen to my podcast at usually the fastest speed that a podcatching client will play it at. And there was a speed button on the screen. So when I double tapped on the speed button, instead of speeding up the podcast, I was taken to a screen which told me that the speed up capability was done by a third party app that would have to be purchased and installed. The speed up app is called Presto. I think it's actually called the Presto Library. And there was a button on the screen there in Dogcatcher to take you to the Google Play Store to purchase Presto. I got into the store and Presto is shown as an open beta, but they're still charging $4.95 for it, which was the same price as Dogcatcher. So to speed up Dogcatcher, you also have to double its price. But I really wanted to test this capability, so I went ahead and purchased Presto, and like the other apps that I mentioned, it was really straightforward to 
purchase it, it automatically downloaded and installed, so that was no problem. I'm really quite pleased with how well Presto works. It has five different speeds, with speed number five being reasonably fast. I could stand to listen to it a notch or two faster, but I'm pretty happy with speed five, and I'm pretty happy with the quality of the speech at speed five. It introduces some artifact sound into the voice, but it's minimal, and it's very listenable at that speed. Talkback doesn't give you any feedback when you tap on the speed button, but just by listening to the audio, you can hear the speed changing. And of course, when you have tapped five times, when you tap the sixth time, it just cycles around back to normal speed. So it's not really difficult to get back to normal speed. You just have to cycle through the speeds to get there. So, you know, I think five bucks was a bit expensive to be able to speed up the podcast, but it did work well. I've spent some time obviously going through all the options and settings for Dog Catcher, and I really like it quite well. I have to say that I'm very spoiled because I think the very best podcatching app that has ever been created is available on iOS called Downcast. And Downcast just does everything that I ever wanted in a podcast app. And I don't really know to what extent Dogcatcher will come close to Downcast. I don't think it's quite as slick or quite as full-featured, but I'm going to use it for the next week or so, and I'll report back in a future podcast about my decisions about Dogcatcher. But it is accessible, it is usable, I am able to locate the podcast that I want to listen to, I'm able to listen to it, I'm able to pause and pick up where I left off, I'm able to easily delete uh, the podcast once I've finished listening to them. You can automate uh, the downloading and deletion of podcasts if you want. You can have it check uh, and update feeds in the background, things like that. I'm pretty pretty pleased with it, honestly. It's, it, it really isn't bad. I will say that I, I set up Downcast on my iPad just a few days ago, and one of the things that was really, really easy in iOS was the fact that after I had installed Downcast, I was able to simply double tap on the Sync with iCloud button, and Downcast was able to go out to iCloud, figure out all my podcast subscriptions because it knew them from my iPhone. It then downloaded the episodes that were already on my iPhone so that the two devices, the 
iPad and the iPhone were in sync. And now Downcast keeps the devices in sync. So if I delete a podcast from my iPhone, it also gets deleted from my iPad. Or even if I start playing a podcast on my iPad, stop it and switch over to the iPhone, the podcast on the iPhone will pick up exactly where the playing was stopped on the iPad. I understand from reading the dog catcher documentation that they are experimenting with some sort of iCloud implementation that will allow the same kind of syncing to take place if you have multiple Google devices. So I don't know how well they have this working yet. I don't only have one Android device, so I don't have any way of really testing it. But the syncing capabilities between iOS devices, thanks to iCloud, is really great. And you don't have to know anything about it other than just how to turn iCloud on and the rest is taken care of automatically. So it's just kind of an interesting observation. Really, Apple is all about the user experience and making it as easy as possible for people to use their devices and not have to worry about much setup or not even have to know much about what's under the hood. And a lot of Android users don't like this because they feel like Apple's taking too much control. But most of the time, the way that Apple does things works well. Not always. Apple certainly has made mistakes, just as all companies have. But it wouldn't be so popular if people weren't really happy with how well it works and how easy it is to use. And so it's just difference in philosophy and I can see both sides of it. So in summary, it actually turned out that both the Nexus 7 and my Apple iOS devices did require the use of a website ultimately to do what I wanted to do and get my podcast feeds set up on the respective devices. On the Apple side, I had to use the iCloud website, which only required me to push a button and Apple took care of the rest in terms of going to iCloud, locating the information, syncing the feeds down to my iPad, and so forth. On the Nexus 7, I had to use my own website. So if you don't have a website where you can place a file that an app like Dogcatcher can go out and find, then you have to figure out some way of putting it up on a website somewhere. And then you have to make sure that you have the exact address to where the file is located so that you can type it into Dogcatcher and then Dogcatcher can go out and pull in the information from the OPML file. So more complicated with Dogcatcher, more steps to go through, but still 
completely doable on both devices. Well, this brings us to the end of Android Accessibility Part 2. I hope I didn't bore you with too much detail, but I wanted to, as best I could, describe my experience so that you get an idea of what it has been like for me to get going on the Nexus 7 with Android Jelly Bean. In part three of this series, it's my plan to interview four people who are also fairly new Android Nexus 7 users to learn from them what their initial experiences have been like and what they think of their Nexus 7 and TalkBack and Android accessibility because I'm sure that people have had different experiences and I don't want you just to be limited to whatever my experience has been. So we'll see what other people have to say about it and then I anticipate doing a part four where I imagine I will do some demonstrations of some of these apps so that you can get a feel for how TalkBack actually works and responds to what's on the screen. We'll take it a step at a time. We'll do part three and then I will decide exactly which direction to take in part four. Until next time, so long from the Tech Doctor.